Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I am uh, Athey, also known as Bahamas, been playing music for a long time. Um, uh, make, this is my sixth album, it's called Boot Cut, and um, I'm in Nova Scotia, I live in Nova Scotia, I've been here for five years, surrounded by water and rocks and trees and not much else, so that works really good for me. I know that we the odds just by being alive, not saying we should break any laws. When I was in high school and I discovered music pretty quickly, I started dreaming about what it would be like to be in a band and what would it be like to go on the road and, and uh, what would it be like to write a song and what would it be like to, to make an album. With all the gratitude in the world, I can say that I've done all those things and then, frankly, that's all I've ever done. Yeah, I'm, there's always sort of bigger challenges as a songwriter and as a as a, as a singer and as a guitar player there's always an, it's an endless the amount of things that you can kind of challenge yourself to but um yeah i just feel very lucky that uh, i get to be an artist every day i get to wake up in the morning and kind of make stuff hopefully that's cool i think it's cool i hope other people think it's cool and i get to play music with my friends and travel around and go to boise idaho why would i have ever gone to boise idaho I ain't afraid of nothing cause I know I got nothing to hide You might say Born stuck in my ways Alright, you're tuned in once again to the show on the road. I am your audio spelunker, Z Lupitan, and we are here with one of my all-time favorite singer-songwriters, Afi Gervainen, a.k.a. Bahamas. And you might have heard this phrase before, don't meet your heroes. You're bound to be disappointed. But this is the second conversation I've had with Bahamas on this very podcast, and I'm even more impressed with his work ethic, with his ability to be a dad and a creator, and his new record, Boot Cut, it's like a warm, country-dipped hug on a cold, blustery night, and we could use a little softness right now. Okay, I'm going to stop talking. Here he is, Bahamas. Well, we last had you on here uh, talking in 2020 about 
a sad hunk. And I feel like as I've gotten to know your records through the years, it's like you're processing different cross sections of your life, um, you know, through uh, the, almost the style of your guitar playing, through mm. the way that your voice is sort of uh, unleashed or held back, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you've become more comfortable displaying this softer side, you know, this sort sure. of more maybe fatherly doting obviously you're a dad but it's like mm-hmm. the sad hunk personality maybe was hearkening back to your younger days when you were you know displayed as this possible canadian heartthrob rocker <laughs> right which i think even you knew wasn't really necessarily what was going on <laughs> inside sure. you know sure um but now you can kind of embrace this open personality which is maybe why you chose to go to Nashville and, and and harness this country feeling that the idea mm-hmm. that you could just openly say what you're feeling, tell stories from beginning to end without feeling like they're going to be cheesy or uh, on the nose because country music is without artifice, at least the good stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the old school stuff, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash. It's like they told you what was really going on inside them. And so much of the modern pop music and country music is hidden behind seven layers of capitalism or, you know, like, Mm. can this sell the latest pickup truck, soft drink, beer Mm. (laughs) commercial, instead of saying, what what are you actually feeling right now? Like, what's going on? Yeah. I mean, I I think that you're talking about so many different things there. I mean, first of all, there, there is a real clear difference between making music and the music business. And that's always existed, you know, in every genre, uh, as far back as recorded music has existed. You know, it's sort of, okay, we have something, now how do we want to sell it? I, some of the guys that play on this record are in their 70s, uh, some in their 60s, and they were pretty thrilled um, to be playing together and just had so much enthusiasm. And I, I thought to myself at the end of the session, I'm like, that's, that's all I want. I just want to be the guy who's 70. Who, who gets a phone call from the 42-year-old guy saying, hey, are you available to come Houston recording? I mean, I, I'd, I'd be very lucky if the phone was still ringing uh, 30 years from now. It's like the perfect melody is hidden in a tune And every misplaced note The ones I stole, the ones I wrote all just self-inflicted wounds. Everything's a presentation, right? Do we want to, do we want to, does the story be like, oh, we recorded it live off the floor and, you know, this guy just wears his own clothes on stage. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, right. it's all choices. It's all choices that we make. And for me, like I, over the last several albums, like, I've leaned more into this idea of like, okay, this record is, you know, called Sad Hunk. What are the photographs going to be? What's the, what's the marketing materials? Like I, I, I kind of ha- like to have fun with the, the Instagram and all the, the stuff around the record. Like once I realized, oh, this is just an opportunity to make more art, make more interesting videos, make more, you know, musical things or humorous things, like things that work well on, on, on YouTube or Instagram or whatever suddenly that part of it just became much more interesting to me up to that point i had really 
rejected that. I had, you know, I thought, oh, the artists that I really love, they don't engage with this. You know, Neil Young is somehow above it all, and and uh, Willie Nelson's above it all, and 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 of course they are in 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 so many ways, you know, as artists or whatever. But I mean, you know, then I I just sort of what like I said, I just realized it's fun. I just enjoy it. I just enjoy that part of it. So it's not like I'm gonna reinvent myself every time we make a record but i i do think having a record is an opportunity to kind of have fun and yeah definitely like the sad hunk record sort of there was there was a extra incentive there just because we weren't touring and everyone's stuck at home and so i kind of you know pivoted to being like a mildly successful uh internet entertainer there for a couple of years like most yeah. of us did you know now it's sort of like trying to keep the best parts of that and and returning to what was you know my normal life which was playing shows and connecting with people in that really direct sort of tangible way that you that feeling that you get when you play shows the best shows anyway where you just like that synergy happens and people are just so thrilled to be there they're i don't know there's it's such a cliche but it really is like such a high that i think most of us are chasing you know some shows are kind of get there and then others you you spend the whole show kind of trying to crack the code a little bit but what is it? Why am I not finding that little space? It's going to be an interesting challenge, you know, thinking ahead to how you'll tour this record, mm -hmm. uh, because some of them are very uh, stripped back, you know, mm -hmm. uh, very personal, very soft, you know. <clears throat> um, so, you know, when I saw you last uh, at the Regent here in L.A., I think it was last year it did feel like you kind of were bringing us into your living room in Nova Scotia or something. You right. Know? Um, right. And the seven, eight hundred people that were there were like a part of your home in a way. Mm -hmm. And I think this mm -hmm. one is even more intimate in a way like you have to like bring them into the the back den, close all the doors, turn down the lights, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, have you explored how you're going to uh, present certain songs like, you know, like the piano ballad that ends the record is just beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Like, We've been playing that one like as a full band, like kind of more of an R&B, like almost like as if I had recorded it for Sad Hunk. We're kind of playing it in that world. And it really works really well in that way, too. And I've never really been concerned with reproducing the albums, yeah. like note for note. Um, I, I have a great band. Most of the people that I play with, I've played with for several years. You know, I just try and do what works for us in that moment. I could write the greatest tunes I could be the first one on the moon I could eat a steak with just a spoon Still nothing blows my mind It's not to say that like it's a jam band where the songs were unrecognizable and they're different totally from night to night but i love taking advantage of the notion that it could be that right. so you know that means that okay some nights i might play a song solo like on the last record i had this song half your love that we recorded it as a solo tune and this summer we're playing festivals and we play it as a band tune and this, the, the guitar section kind of, we just extend that however if it's feeling good we'll play longer shorter whatever feels right and just stuff like that, I feel like it, it's a—it's uh, just an opportunity, especially as, especially now having six albums. There's a lot of material to choose from, and um, 
for better or for worse, I've never really had a hit song. So it's kind of a nice position to be at the beginning. I mean, I would have loved to have a song that really went off in a big way, but it just never happened for me. And so now I'm kind of grateful because it just means that I can literally do whatever I want at the show. There's no like, right. you know, there's there's certain songs that we do play pretty consistently, but yeah, there's there's a good 30 to 40 percent of the set that can change night to night. And even those songs can, I can play them solo, I can play them as a duo, or I can do them as a band, or, um, yeah, so it's just, it's a luxurious place to be as a performer, you know? I, it's not that I want to be selfish and be Bob Dylan and, like, set up my mic facing the drummer and just make it all about me. <laughs> um, I mean, I certainly want to play a show and interact with people and stuff, but, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't stress about it too much about about trying to recreate the album or whatever you know christine who plays guitar with me she also plays lap steel she's quite good and she you know she can cover a lot of that ground and you know as i'm sure you know it's it's the the once you get the steel on something it's it pushes it right away it's sort of it's suggestive of a whole world a genre of music you know so um it's fun it's fun to have that included so while I bide my time Nothing blows my mind Nothing blows my mind I think there's an interesting bookend to this record, uh, Boot Cut, where you, you know, you begin, obviously, with your <laughs> your kids infiltrating this moment of greatness possibly you know like where look i got sure i got the greatest melody ever happening here and mm -hmm. your daughter's like I, I don't i don't really care like i i want i want you to do this thing for me real quick mm -hmm. you know yep this sort of uh cutting down to size of fatherhood in a way you know mm -hmm. where it doesn't matter how many sold out dates you have you know when you're home you're dad and that's that's as big as you're going to be right but also yeah. that then you go into that first track um just a song about you know you know what if i did create this greatest melody of all time mm -hmm. and then the end is almost you know you're conceding that <laughs> nothing is going to blow my mind everything is sort of borrowed and mm -hmm. patched and mm -hmm. uh sewn together from you know, the stuff that you love, stuff you grew up listening to, um, and you're sort of one more link on the chain and that, you mm -hmm. know, and that we don't have to revolutionize music every time we record a new song. It's just, it is just another song. Um, yeah. and yet I think that openness, that realization is sort of freeing, right. Where you can just be like, this is my little, uh, sketch of where my life is right now. Mm -hmm. take it as it is i'm writing songs is the thing i love the most you know that's the most satisfying um part of my job or the you know that that moment of inception where you can sort of squint with your ears right. a little bit into the future and you say wow there's something there there's something just in those chords or in that in that lyric and the outline is all blurry. It's just not clear to you. Is it is it a verse? Is it actually a whole song? Is it just an idea? What is that thing? And and 
when that sort of starts to reveal itself, it's so fleeting and so precious and also just like so uh, selfish and personal. Like it's really, um, and I revel in that. I really like enjoy that, you know? And, and so, you know, as a songwriter, you kind of have to be pretty ruthless with your time. And that's difficult to do if you have children. And so, yeah, it is kind of nice to start the record like that and with that little kernel of an idea and then go right into the definitive version of this this idea, this this um, recording. Well, hang on, hang on. No, 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 wait, you're, wait, wait. no you're, you're gonna hold my back. Dad, I'm gonna stand on daddy's hand like this. You're supposed to You're gonna go like this? Yeah. Um, I'm just working on the song now. Can you come now, please? It'll be super quick. I can't wait till I'm done writing the song. No. It has to be right now. Yes, it has to. But I'm pretty close to something good here. But yeah, the last song is really just sort of about losing someone um, that means the world to you. And then a lot of my songs sort of try and employ a little bit of humor just to lighten the load a little bit. Because I tend to sing right. about some pretty heavy subject matter. And so... I find for me, if you can get a little bit of sweet in with the salty, it sort of helps the whole mixture uh, come together. And I, I, in previous conversations, I've always kind of referenced that Willie Nelson tune, You're Always On My Mind, because if you listen to the lyrics, it's like such a heartbreaking song. But the whole the energy is just so uh, uplifting. Like it's a very... Mm -hmm upbeat melody and, and it leaves you feeling positive even though he's basically admitting saying like i i couldn't do it i'm not enough you know i i you were always on my mind i just wasn't able to be there for you and you know what i mean it's like such a it has both of the elements that i love and so if if any if, if any of my songs are able to kind of use that recipe a little bit um in order to sort of convey the message i i that always feels right to me and just lands in a good way Maybe I didn't love you Quite as often as I could have And maybe I didn't treat you Quite as good as I should have If I made you feel second best Girl, I'm sorry I was blind You were always on my mind You were always on my mind Well, I think, you know, your public persona, your PR packet mm -hmm. personality um, is 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 embracing this humorous dad core, you know, like, look, I'm lifting weights. Yeah. But, but there's this edge that's in the back of these songs, sort of like a, you know, a needle sticking out of the, of the garment accidentally. Sure. Right? I mean, that, that, mm -hmm. that sequence in nothing blows my mind, you know, I could shoot a hole in one, I can win a marathon run, both like kind of funny, upbeat things. And then, yeah. My dad's if my dad somehow said I love you, son, it's just a deficit 
a devastating line, right? Because <laughs> it's not like it's not like oh, if my dad said it, if he somehow said it, like he would never yeah. say it, right? Yeah. Like the idea that no, your dad did. would yeah. would never ever say that is a very heartbreaking sort of slap to the back of the neck, you know. On For the way sure, out. and then and then you know the follow up is you say those lines and then you say still nothing blows my mind you know what i mean it's it's you you've just accepted that and um yeah so again like when i came up with that little sort of that method of sort of listing off these different things i could write the greatest tune i could be first one on the moon and all that, these different scenarios and and always with the idea of like well none of that would blow my mind you know it's sort of just the whole idea is is your you're saying, well, this other thing is is the biggest thing in the world to me, you know, this other relationship, right. and if and and the fact that that's ending is like, um, there's nothing that even comes close, you know, nothing compares to you. I mean, there's another song that sort of has a similar um, motif or whatever, but like I said, writing songs is is such a thrill. I still enjoy it. I still try and drop what I'm doing if I if I get an idea, I I try and respect the idea and try and make room for it to come in and, and try and crack the code on these songs. I've also just become much more relaxed about it. And, and, you know, when the girls are bugging me or whatever, it's, it's, that's totally okay. And it's welcome. I love having them around and I love all my voice memos are just totally polluted with them. Yeah. <laughs> They're all over every song, every idea that I have, I'm always singing into my phone and it's just, you could, it's just hilarious how much they're on there, you know? Yeah, it's funny. I've I've been posting these videos since my my daughter, July, was born, you know, just a year mm -hmm. and a half or so now, of, like, me playing songs to her. And then she keeps getting, like, a little bit bigger and a little louder, basically, in every, you know, video. It's, like, every month or so. And it's funny because, you know, most people are like, oh, what a cool fun thing that you're doing and the, but there's some people even people in my own band they're like i don't think you should post those videos like like what if she doesn't like want to be seen she's sort of like a part of the band now i mean that's just the way it is mm -hmm. you know like she's mm -hmm. literally like the the mascot of, of the band um right and one day when she's older she may be like dad this is like embarrassing for me <laughs> You know, that's well, she'll definitely do that. And yeah. uh, that's just part of the life cycle. You know, uh, yeah. I certainly felt that way about my mother, who's a wonderful, loving person. You know, at some point you get to that, get to that no matter what. Is there music that you heard your parents listening to maybe that sort of uh, informed on this record? I feel like there is a almost easy listening Mm. um element to this you know easy listening gets a gets a bad rap in my in my world because i feel like oh it, it's it's too smooth or too slick but really it's like the music that comforted like an entire generation or like that was sort of in the background of some of your nicest family memories or something honestly if i went into a record store and i found my own albums under the easy listening section <laughs> yeah i would be so thrilled i mean i relate to that much more than rock or pop or indie or whatever right. other classifier. Yeah, it's it's um my all all that this musical discovery was really done on my own. My mother didn't really listen to music. My father wasn't around. My mother had a few Finnish, like traditional Finnish music 
cassettes that she would play on repeat and like when she was making dinner on Sundays. But no, all, all my musical discovery was done on my own and just through friends, through osmosis, you know. I did like, uh, I guess you'd call it neo-traditional country. I'd like Alan Jackson and George Strait and and um, Vince Gill and, and, and a lot of those guys sort of, their recordings are often so, they're recorded so well. They're so clean. Yeah. Um, and just arranged and produced so well that, you know, they do kind of go into the easy listening territory. I mean, certainly George Strait does, you know. Um, as much as the, he's country, I think it's kind of fits there too, you know. But um, touring with Jack Johnson um, was a real revelation just because, like, we'd play these huge venues and he'd do, like, six sort of slow songs. Not, like, mid-tempo, but, like, yeah, yeah. slow jams in a row. Yeah. And just watching, like, 20,000 people, like, loving every minute of it, it was such yeah. a revelation to me because I probably, like, most performers, you know, you, you, you tend to feel this pressure where you're like, okay, I got to play, like, a rocker and then a mellow one and then you you're, you think that you have to kind of pace the show in some way that's like up and down up and down to keep it going and watching him play was just so yeah it was really inspiring because i just realized geez i have a lot of slow songs i have a lot of mid-tempo you know lost in the light way with words like that groove based kind of tunes and um so you know realizing that i don't have to be on someone else's schedule i can get on my own schedule and that works real good. And actually, my wife and I, we were just in Toronto and we saw Chris Stapleton play hmm. um, and really like his music a lot, too. And and it was at a huge venue. And same thing. He's got a lot of these, you know, more bluesy, obviously, country tunes. But like, there's no like, no rush to rock out, you know? Yeah. And the crowd is totally along for the ride. They're singing along with every word. And it's just beautiful. And it's incredible, you know? So... I feel like I have something in common with those performers from that standpoint, where it's just like, that's the type of show that I'd want to create. I want everyone to just feel warm and welcome. I'm lost in the light I pray for the night To take me, to take you to After so many words Still nothing's heard don't know what we should do So someone could see me now Let them see you Just being in the audience at one of those shows is like just being at a family reunion, you know? So yeah. Willie Nelson has the same quality too, right? It's just the minute he walks on stage, you just feel better. He's like the Dalai Lama. Yeah. It's like I, you know what I mean? It's something about just his presence before he even plays a single note has such an effect on people, so... Uh, I think Jack has that too. I think a lot of uh, people that I know have that. So trying to channel some of that is always a good, always a good move. I heard that story that uh, when Willie played the Fillmore in San Francisco a couple years ago, he like lost his voice or something, but he didn't want to cancel the show. So he just right. had the audience basically sing the songs for him <laughs> the whole night. Like, it was just yeah. like a like a, almost like a choir practice, you know. Yeah, yeah. I saw a similar video on uh, YouTube of him and Casey Musgrave singing uh, "Rainbow Connection." Yeah, and he was having a lot of difficulty getting the words out. Um, just looked like he was struggling, and the way that she 
supported him through that song was just amazing. Like she just, you know, you could just sense the reverence and the respect that right. she had for him. And at the same time, she's like, you know, gently put her hand on his arm and just said, we're going to get through this. And just the second that he wasn't there in the right way, she was able to kind of cover it. And, and it was just beautiful, you know, and it was just, I don't know, the more and more of those kind of moments, uh, I'm, I'm looking to experience those moments as a performer and, and as a fan, as a spectator. your bones I said some awful things and I take them back If we would try again Just remember when Before we were lovers I swear we were friends So if someone could see me now let them see you Well I think that first opening track you know just a song has the footprints of of Willie through it, especially that sure. harmonica part. You know, feels like mm-hmm. it was dropped from you know a seventies AM uh, Willie track. Uh, well, it was actually Willie's harmonica player, right? Mickey Raphael well, played on this record a fair bit, so it's uh, it, yeah. it's it's hard to have Mickey come play on your record and, and not lean in that direction, you know. But I hope it. I think it makes it better, and, and um, he's just a wonderful person to be around you. Now is just a tourist trap Every musical mistake Every bad middle age Just leaves me flat What was it like uh, recording, you know, the Sound Emporium in Nashville with folks like Vince Gill, you know? I mean, I know you noticed, you uh, you mentioned the, you know, the, the basketball metaphor that it's nice to be Steve Kerr sometimes, not... Yeah, Michael Jordan in the room. As a Bulls fan from Chicago, I appreciate that. But the um, the idea that you can kind of harness the greatness of a place and and still have your your voice driving it. But um, you know, how did you sort of delegate the egos in the room? Like, how did that work? If there were egos in the room, I don't think it was a bad thing. I think it was just. I think a lot in my experience so far working with people who are a little bit older, they tend to have a sort of a quiet confidence about what they're doing. They've uh-huh. seen every different type of chord change and they've been in every type of studio. They've just seen more music, played more music, just been in more situations, solved more problems, more musical problems, you know? Yeah. And so they bring all that experience and wisdom with them. I certainly can't help but be inspired by that and just made to feel comfortable and that makes me play better and sing better when you're around that type of energy as opposed to if you're around someone who maybe they're really talented but they're 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 kind of overplaying or they're you know their their excitement and their nervousness sometimes and even i i do that i mean i certainly overplay when i'm not quite confident with what i'm supposed to be doing i might lean too far in the direction of overplaying or over singing you know, it's, you always want to remind yourself, you just, you always want to be like the cool guy in the back who's just holding it down, you know? You know, Malcolm Young is is to me forever more interesting than Angus Young. Angus Young is an incredible guitar player. He's running all over the place and he's like 80% of the show. But Malcolm Young is just like 
the rock that the whole band is like built around. So to me, I feel like when you're making a record and you have like a room full of Malcolm Youngs, it really sets the tone in such a nice way. And then you can invite a Mickey Raphael or, or Vince or Sam Bush or some real, really tasteful, beautiful player to come in and, and just elevate the whole thing to that other level, you know? Well, you have that um, I, song uh, working on my guitar, you know, where you, you mentioned, you know, a bit tongue in cheek that it's like, well, if you play the wrong note, just just play it twice, just play it again. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of an old jazz into joke it. or something, yeah. but yeah. I, I totally agree. And I, I saw, I recently I saw Victor Wooten um, video where he was just sort of doing some sort of clinic or a workshop or something. And he was doing this exercise with a guitar player playing a little riff, a little motif. And he purposely plays every note but the right note. And he's like, it doesn't have to be the right note to be music. Like any note works. You can make any note work. And he sort of demonstrates this in, in real time. Right. And everyone's laughing. And it's really like, it really is musical and incredible actually, right? You think this guitar player is just riffing on E or something and he's, he's just playing F, you know, an E flat and like every note that you really shouldn't play. And it's somehow all musical and groovy and, and working and it's, uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm interested in exploring those types of things as a singer, as a player, and as a writer. You know, it's, it's when you find those lyrics that kind of have that same quality that that shouldn't work but do, or that sort of draw you in, um, or the setup. You know, the the two line setup and then the the, the devastating uh, line closer or whatever. It's like those things are just so satisfying as a writer and as a singer. So. Bother me none if it don't sound nice. If I play a wrong note, I just play the wrong note twice. That's just me working, working, working on my guitar. Working on my guitar, I probably wrote 10 verses for that, and we, you know, ended up with the record the way it is. I have this one lyric for that said, uh, I'm so happy just to be on stage. I don't need to be the next Jimmy Page. I'm just working on my guitar, you know? And just stuff like that where it's, again, like a little more humorous, a little bit more fun. Like, it's just, if you're playing in a hot, sweaty bar, it feels fun to be able to sort of like elevate the songs in some new way. I'm just a pecking and a singing and a hoping that we're having a good time. Over the dinner, the conversation. There's some musical improvisation that's just me working, working on my guitar. I'm just working, working on my guitar. That's just me working, working on my There he goes. Big thanks to Bahamas for getting on the line with me once again. Uh, his new record, as you heard, is called Boot Cut. Uh, he brought the band down from Canada to record in uh, some of the most famous rooms in Nashville. Uh, it is a beautiful record start to finish. And uh, give it a chance, bahamasmusic.net. Back in the spring of 81 You had a boy, yeah, you had a son What you wanted was a sports car 
What you wanted was a sports car. And guess what? We'll be having part two of this conversation coming out very soon. Uh, we dive into his songs, where he came from growing up in Canada. And uh, if you want to hear about his previous records, uh, especially Sad Hunk, which I loved so much, uh, we had a conversation in 2020. Go on the showontheroad.com slash episodes for more. It looks like Bahamas has some shows coming up uh, in the spring in Canada, in uh, Vancouver and Victoria, uh, all around BC, Edmonton, Calgary. Um, and uh, my band, Dust Bowl Revival, will be going to Canada as well in February. That'll be uh, a first in a long time. Because, you know, why not go to, uh, you know, Alberta, Canada in the middle of the winter? A uh, little warmer show will be happening Friday night right here in L.A., Venice West, right in Venice Beach. It'll be a lot of fun. And we're heading up to the Bay Area playing Almost Famous Wines in Livermore. Check that out, DustBowlRevival.com. Be a friend, leave us a review on the iTunes page, and uh, spread the news of this show to your friends and family. It would mean a lot to us if we could keep building our listenership. This music is my favorite stuff that I've ever heard, and I want you to hear it. That's it for me. Have a safe and happy holiday, and we'll see you on the trail. Son, your daddy, he ain't around. He left town when he found out you were a sports car. Found out you were a sports car. I can tell you now, cause you're a grown man. When you were first born, I almost named you Trans Am. What I wanted was a sports car. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.